Welcome to Movie Left, a movie and TV review podcast. <laughs> I'm your host, Anthony Montarulo, joined by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Uh, Asawatomi Comrade Dracula, what's going Asaw- on? <laughs> yeah, well, it technically be a Chicago right. comrade. Um, yeah, I, when, I, when I first heard that, I'm like, Asawatomi, is that like... Is that his is actual he, first name? Is that like, like his Indian nickname? And right. it's like, no, 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 back then, when they only had like four or five names, you know, like you were... Uh, you know, uh, Denver John Brown. Right? Yeah, the you city were, you're like, from. Right? Exactly, exactly. But I love that they don't explain it; they just do it. Right, right. right. And and I love how much like nicknames just become like a, a thing. You know, like Captain John Brown. People just started calling him that because he was winning all these battles <laughs> in bloody Kansas against these fucking slave motherfuckers. He was and, pretty anti-military, actually, when you look at it. Like anti-organized military when you look at his. his but I love that history, it was but... like they just use nicknames like that right. as like a term of endearment. Uh, in I, I I did more research on this than I've done for anything we've ever reviewed, or anything we've ever done on our political show. I've been living and breathing. Like I knew about John Brown. I always knew about him. I knew that he killed people in Kansas during their uh, sort of mini civil war that was happening. Right. Um. And I knew you know that it was With a like, fucking sword, no less. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he was trying to wake up a nation, and he he had spent his whole life as a as a peaceful man of God. Uh, who was raised by an abolitionist, and his father was raised by an abolitionist, who, mm-hmm. like, their whole fucking thing was that. But I've I've just been, like, steeped in so much fucking shit. But, you know, how, you know in, the, in the show, you know, there's that scene with Harriet Tubman when they're up in Canada trying yeah. to recruit people, which is just, like, the most, like, this couldn't possibly have really happened. No. Right. But he was actually in contact with her, but they, they probably, for... Well, for for show's sake, made it like, oh, they're all in this one room, and she happens to be, you know. Like. But they were because that conference, it was wasn't really just he so. Was she there. was there. Oh wow! It was a it was an abolitionist conference that he organized with her. Wow! So they absolutely were there at the same time, and That's she absolutely awesome. would have been there vouching for him, trying to because she, you know, Harriet Tubman led several raids of her own. Another whitewashed, awesome There's that drunk history figure, episode right. all about how she went up and down this river on, on paddle boats with the Union Army, just setting fire to every plantation they could find. Right. And she freed 700 <laughs> slaves in one raid. Yeah, like, no, she, she was, she was, was a more all, successful like, you know, version in, in, in of John Brown, says, arguably. Like, it's not enough that you freed yourself and came up here to Canada. You need to go back and free other people. And right. John Brown's the guy to lead you to do it. So I, I guarantee, you know, obviously it's a fictionalized uh, you know, scene, but I love when she stands up and everyone like calls her the general. You know, like, oh, that like, gave me fucking chills. They just like, call oh, her the general's the general. here. Like, everyone, she's I was in just charge. Like, oh, but fuck. in my research, I found out that like nobody called her that until John Brown gave her that nickname. So yeah. I, I just love that, it, like, what it speaks to his character that in the 1850s, uh, he considered a black woman to be his superior in command. As much as, as he was a, a, a pretty brutal guy, as Pete Buttigieg famously said, uh, when he refused to endorse, endorse John Brown's actions, he really led like a beautiful life. Like it's a, it's a real, he's, he was just really one of history's most unique and interesting, uh, people. And, you know, I think 
the series that we're reviewing, of course, uh, does a great job capturing that. Uh, and, and of course, we, we are reviewing the 2020 uh, Ethan Hawke-created uh, series based on a book, uh, The Good Lord Bird. You stand for the Lord, the Lord will stand for you! Everybody got God on their side in the war. Trouble is, God ain't telling nobody who he's for. My name is Captain John Brown! And I am here in the name of the great King of Kings! Whatever he believed, he believed. Didn't matter if it was true or not. The old man was nuttier than a squirrel turd. For a shameless hypocrisy, America reigns without a rival. So yeah, this uh, story uh, is incredible. Uh, you know, it, it is of course based on a novel, but ninety nine percent of of what is in the book actually did happen in, to to the degree oh, yeah. to, to most. You know, the, the the thing at the beginning, like well, all, all of this is true, most of it happened. Is oh, a, I love that because a very know, apt <laughs> in the trailer that flashes on the screen is a title card. You know, which I love it is a great way of saying like based on real events. You know, right? Like, all of this is true. Most of it happened, and he he, <clears throat> you know, in the tradition of like the Mark Twain tall tale. Having a somewhat unreliable narrator from the point of view of a child allows you to like get away with certain things that are right. deliberately ahistorical uh, for comedic effect. Um, also, love the song they used for that trailer. That like Lakota dubstep, just right. like I first heard <laughs> that track years ago for like a uh, some kind of like Tar Sands um, blockade propaganda, and it was just it was so fucking good. And I, when I heard it for this. You know, and just hearing Ethan Hawke just like going, fucking, just so intense and going off like that, uh, I just I got fucking chills. I got like right. goosebumps the first Me time too. I watched that. Every time I've rewatched it, which I've done at least a dozen times, I still get chills because it's just you know it's it's like I've always thought Ethan Hawke was a good actor, but I've never thought of him as a great actor. And I, I, I always knew he had an. I, well, I shouldn't say always, but I, I ever since Train Day, I knew he had like great oh, yeah. acting in him you know he's so fucking good in that movie well you you were the one who actually first told me about this 
you were like, oh, Ethan Hawke's going to play John Brown. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like a dream project that never will actually happen. Right. It's, I think we all kind of thought that. We're like, There's, okay, so if it happens, it'll be the CIA version of this story where right. where he's like a liberal, like, you know, like I was saying before about Tubman, like she's been a, a very much a whitewashed figure where, right. you know, people, when they talk about, when you learn about her in history class, it's like, oh, well, yeah, she ran the Underground Railroad. She's this this nice motherly, you know, grandma who, who ferried slaves secretly to their freedom it's like no she's a fucking badass who literally fucking armed up and went and freed upwards of 700 slaves like you like you were saying from from plantations like it, it's fucking incredible well, that was just on one raid total she oh that was on rescued, one raid. uh about 1200 slaves. oh wow yeah no i, I mean and, I, know, I know she had had a, a yeah. really fucking awesome violent past of like you know oh, they would have called they called her a terrorist they called oh, her a terrorist oh, back then uh, so they called john brown a terrorist yeah John and I, I've said this before, and I, I mean it as a full compliment. John Bla John Brown and Harriet Tubman are left wing terrorists, and you know there is nothing wrong with right. that. And I think you know what this series does a great job of showing is that unfortunately nothing that's actually worth doing is ever won by working within the system by peaceful means. It unfortunately and always he, he thought that it could be. That's right. that's the thing is he didn't start out this way. He lived his life into his fifties, still believing that it could be done peacefully, right? And the Ethan Hawke, I've I've watched so many videos of Ethan Hawke doing like long form, extended Zoom interviews. He, th there's at least five hours of Ethan Hawke talking about this in depth because he he was on the set of uh, the the last remake of the. Um, was it the 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 western he was in with uh, oh uh, uh, Magnificent Seven yeah, yeah. and he's on Denzel set and, and he's dressed up you know in western clothes and and the DP uh, on that uh, movie was like hey you know you should play John Brown you kind of look at you kind of look, <laughs> like, look him. like him right? which was like a kind of like a, a a joke that like his his beard was graying which which I you know now that it's November I didn't even realize it. But I've been accidentally participating in No Shave November because of COVID. Like I just hadn't, <laughs> like even trimmed my beard since October, and right. it's definitely it's it's doing like that Jeffrey D. Morgan thing where it's like it's it's going all gray except for the mustache is still it's like a classy. It's dark. a classy, yeah. I've been told it's distinguished looking. I'll just it put is. it that way. Um, I, I don't know what yours looks like, but it is a distinguished look. It, it, yeah, uh, just, just Google Dean Jeff, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, right. right? Walking Dead, Negan, fucking the comedian from, from Watchmen. Like, the guy's got some, he's got the daddy look going on. Um, <laughs> but where was I? Uh, <laughs> Ethan Hawke interviews, Zoom interviews. Ethan Hawke fell in love with this story because the DP was like, oh, yeah, I'm reading this book called Good Lord Bird. Uh, and he was like, what kind of name is that? He's like, well, it's, you know, it's like we back in the day, if you looked up and saw, you know, a huge, beautiful bird uh, like this in this series it's this this woodpecker it's now extinct uh and you're just so struck by how beautiful the bird is you just say good lord that, that's that's a good lower bird like I, it's not even really clear why that's relevant to the story right. maybe it is more in the book but ethan hawk starts reading it and apparently read the whole thing in one sitting and kept laughing and his wife who's not uma thurman by the way they're divorced uh, yeah, I, I, in research of their of their hot children, I I, I learned I was like, oh shit, they divorced back in their hot so, children, which they oh, may no, actually I'm... be dating. Um, <laughs> his wife's like, how can you be laughing about a book about slavery and John Brown? And he's like, no, you just this is this is the thing. And James James Pride, I've watched a ton of interviews with him. He's very 
You know, Ethan Hawke has this, this <clears throat> like, even though he's almost 50, has this amazing youthful quality. Where Very he's still, exuberant and energetic. Yeah. And always, like, he's super so excited. He's so fun to watch in interviews because he's just, like, he has all this excitement like he's still a right. teenager. Right, even though his beard's going gray, whereas James McBride is like his his humor is very wry. Um, I, I watched one; uh, he did a reading at a book uh, bookstore, and like everybody there is like a like looks like they're a Sierra Club member. And he gets up <laughs> to the podium, and James McBride, who's a black man, says, uh, "You know, it's good good to see all you white people here. I mean, good people here." <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, and he he's also a jazz composer, James McBride, and he started out as a journalist uh, for really? the Boston Globe, actually. Um, so yeah, I've been doing a lot of research. So uh, he, he just he was like, "How do I tell the story in a way that is not just like, uh, um, you know, struggle porn? Like we've all seen right. Twelve Years a Slave and how brutal that is and how hard that is to to watch and how triggering. You don't that watch that watch. movie more than once, like you no." And it's a great film. You should watch it. But it's just, sure. it's like, you know, he wanted to tell a story that was funny. And Ethan Hawke totally understood that because he's like, look, the way to reach people is through humor. You know, like this is this is the story of John Brown if Eddie Murphy told it right. or, or or if Richard Pryor told it. That's the story that James McBride's telling. And I want to play this because I'm the guy who, who, who you know, is age appropriate and gets this humor and, you know, because a training, like, you know, Ethan Hawke has a training day. He's like in with the whole black community, the way that Kevin Costner was in the black community. He's got forever more like because of the bodyguard. Right. Like, it's just like, you, you, like, there's certain white people that, like, oh, that's the guy who's doing it? No, I He's one you, of the good yeah, ones. We trust like, him. Right. He'll do it justice. He gets it, right? Um, but he, you know, I mean, like, if, if you did a serious version of John Brown, you'd have to get, like, Daniel Day Lewis to play it. Right. Right, right. <laughs> but, and it would be amazing, but it wouldn't be. Sure. It wouldn't be as the same. Like the tone would not. This the, the tone of the series is such an incredible tightrope that I, I, I. It's it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen, but it's also one of the most like set like serious and affecting and dramatic and like moving. It, it's it really does this amazing job. You know, I I think I said this to you when I first watched the pilot. Like this is what Tarantino was trying to do with Django and. I really like that movie, but, you know, arguably he didn't succeed in trying to capture that tone in the way that, you know, where you were really saying something, but also still being funny and violent. It's and just, uh, yeah, it's Tarantino's not heartfelt, or at least he hasn't been heartfelt until once upon well, yeah, a time. Yeah, no, he found it, and I hope he, he finally still makes found movies it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, after that, but... Um, but, but but you could see almost even in the marketing of, of this series, and, you know, obviously... It both were kind of marketed around the kind of the, the typography and the, the uh, uh, title cards from the good, bad and the ugly. But, you know, the, even the way that this movie was marketed, the posters looked a lot like the posters for Django. Oh, and it was marketed, you know, to a similar. Yeah. In a similar way. And, it, and it's like this is I really do think that this is kind of the what tarantino was trying to do like and, and you know didn't quite I mean, succeed almost tarantino know, with, understands with zeitgeist and motif but not necessarily like i don't want to say this it he's going for just this revivalist thing right right in this good lord bird is a completely different form of storytelling you know and, and it is drawing on I, I think sort of the the, the Mark Twain tradition of telling a tall tale, but also telling a story in a way that 
is unique for our time for our technology where yeah, you've got yeah. you've got the the limited miniseries form of of narrative where you can really do a 7 hour movie and not worry about you know what are you going to do for season 2 right well and, yeah and, this was not a and, and, series as much as yeah. it was like you said a 7 hour movie and and originally Ethan Hawke's like you can't make this a movie and his his wife uh was like you don't have to put it in a movie you can put it you can <clears throat> chop this to anyone you want to right. and make it as is you know five episodes or ten episodes whatever it works out to and you're ethan hawk so like literally anybody will right. fucking buy this from you some like, fucking <laughs> prestige network's right. gonna buy this yeah and you know to his credit ethan hawk also understood that you know the, the story is about a guy who's you know had john brown you know knew even at the time that the optics or or the intention he had would be mistrusted because he's a white guy, right. right? And and the 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 trope of the white savior was something they didn't want to to do. So even <laughs> though he's producing the and, and starring in it, the story, the, you know, the show and the novel centers black characters as being the real heart of the show. You know, he, John Brown is hardly even in the second and the finale episodes, right? And you really feel. You know, not to jump too far ahead, but one of the things that I expected at the end, the finale, was to show his trial, right? Because right. his trial was such a huge, you know, it was the, it was the first trial that was nationally covered thanks to the telegram. Telegram was invented about uh, twenty years prior, but there was no. But he wanted no part of his trial, also, which is hilarious. He knew it was a fucking farce in the beginning. Oh He's yeah, like, this is a total fucking but, but show he, trial. Just kill me now. Because... But he understood that after his, you know, his his rebellion wasn't going to work that now he had the national audience. Right. And he wrote hundreds of letters from jail that all got nationally published. And it was the first national news story where, where it was the first court case that was covered nationally and could be covered nationally because of the telegram, because there was finally a national telegram network. It was the first time that literally every newspaper could print the same thing on the same day. So it, it was like lightning where the entire and North yeah. right. knew what he did on the same day. If he had done this three years prior... The whole country may have never even known about it, right? And and he knew that he knew that he had a national audience, and that's why people like um, Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau and Walt Whitman, you know, these famous uh, literary figures at the time, suddenly started writing in his favor. And suddenly it was like, holy shit! The whole fucking national consciousness changed overnight. Just just a little bit here uh, uh, from the New York Independent. Uh, wrote, the brave old man who lies in prison in Charleston, Virginia, awaiting the day of his execution, is teaching this nation lessons of heroism, faith, and duty, which will awaken its sluggish moral sense and almost forgotten memories of the heroes of our own revolution. Uh, And by contrast, the Richmond Dispatch called him a scoundrel, adding that he was (laughs) a cold-blooded midnight murderer (laughs) with not a particle of humanity or generosity belonging to his character. So, yeah, I mean, you have a national media for like the really first time, and he's like, I'm going to use this technology to get the word out there. He he wrote hundreds, because he was uh, sentenced one month before he was executed, which you would think they want to get rid of him right away, but like apparently the Virginia law was that you had to have like a month to get your affairs in order before they hung you to death, <laughs> right? <laughs> so just absolutely changed the national conversation. And if you read his letters, um, you know, but many of them were published publicly, but it, like his, his wife and his family were being interviewed in, in all the papers too. Like he was the most famous person in the world 
up until the point of Lincoln's assassination. Uh, I, I also learned that he, um, the day he was hanged, the entire nation of Haiti, uh, which about 60 years prior had had their own revolution, they shut down the entire country in his honor on that day. Wow. Yeah. And they named the main street in Port-au-Prince John Brown Avenue. And I'm like, that's crazy. That like they knew about it the day it was happening. Like we think like that's that's so long ago. Like word must have traveled slow. Like no, they fucking they had the telegraph now. Like they just had it right. And I'm like, well, wait. If if Haiti knew about John Brown, did John Brown know about Haiti? So I started down this rabbit hole. <laughs> Not only did John Brown know about the slave revolt of Haiti, the slave revolt of Haiti from 1791 to 1804 was completely... John Brown was obsessed with it. It was the entire basis for his guerrilla warfare in Kansas and his entire fucking plan for Harper's Ferry. When you look at all the, everything you can find about this shows that he thought he was going to succeed in Harper's Ferry specifically because of the tactics used in the Haitian Revolution, the Haitian Slave <laughs> Revolt. He looked at the topography around Port-au-Prince, where it's a harbor town surrounded by uh, low-lying mountains that are heavily forested or, you know, have trees. And you look at the topography around Harper's Ferry, it's almost identical. And his plan was to get all these guns and go wage a guerrilla war up in the mountains where you couldn't get a, a, a real army in there. And just do, like, a, a, a you know, basically a guerrilla insurrection over the course of years. Now, obviously that failed because he, he, you know, had reinforcements that were supposed to be coming, uh, there's various accounts of why that didn't actually happen, but he waited there too long and got surrounded, thinking that that was gonna, you know, he was gonna be able to pull that off. But you know, barring that, he's like, okay, well, I, I'm, you know, I'm gonna have to become a martyr, and he kicked off the entire civil war because of what he did. And had the media not been there, or the technology in the media not been there to get the word out, you wouldn't have had the kind of division between the north and the south, and the south was terrified that more militias were coming, that there was going to be more John Browns. And there were. People were so outraged in the North, they started forming their own militias and started waging their own incursions right. into the South to start freeing slaves, which John Brown had been doing already for years in Missouri and Kansas. Well, and, you know, really, uh, the parallels to today are kind of incredible because Northern abolitionists, for the most part, there were there were some John Browns, but largely they were the fucking Democrats of their time where they didn't really like slavery, but they also didn't want to do anything about it. They weren't going to, you know, there was some, uh, a good segment of the Northern abolitionists who basically wanted to end slavery and send people back to Africa. Like they didn't want to, they, they you know, they didn't want to let them live in the U S they were just like, well, and you know, we'll, we'll, oh. we'll end it. We'll send them back. Like, right. And, and to your point, most abolitionists in the North opposed slavery, but still didn't, see black people as equals yeah including didn't, abraham didn't, lincoln didn't like that. think that they should ever be citizens and certainly didn't think they should have the right to vote and john brown lived with black people he had a farm he set up in in new york mm -hmm. state where he was teaching freed slaves how to farm like right. he you know he he did not see them as being different it, because nothing about his his yeah it was nothing about his his affection and genuine care for for people of all races, for black people, for for Native Americans, was performative. It was just yeah. ingrained in him from birth. Yeah. Like so he, another anecdote I've, I read about was how he had some white neighbors 
who oh I know this. this is a great story yeah asked him to help them run off some Native <laughs> right. Americans from their land who had been hunting there for probably thousands of years yeah. And he said, I would never do something so cruel. And just for the fact that you asked me to do that, I should run you off your land. <laughs> right. And they were like, what? Wait, but what? Like, we're, no. Like, look, we're white. But like, we're what are white. you talking right. about? Like, exactly. Exactly. So it, it was just I, always. It, when, we, when we talk about not being racist versus being anti-racist. Right. John Brown was anti-racist. Yeah. Or performatively anti-racist. Like, he was just, he was the real fucking deal. Like, he, you know, from a young age, his father, like, was just like him and raised him this way where he, you know, they lived among Native Americans and he befriended them. Like, the, they were his only, you know, friends when he was younger. It really instilled in him this... This just beautiful appreciation for 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 every every segment of humanity. So when he you know got older and started interacting with other people and was like, not only do these people dislike these other people, but these people they're these you know people these white people are literally keeping like people like my friends in fucking bondage and keeping you know making them forcing them to right. work for them. Right, it, and it, it was, was it was like it was exce- I mean imagine just. You know, like someone. This is this is a, a weird example, but like, imagine if you were someone like me who that like wants to get rid of the automobile, right? Because you see right. the inherent harm of it, and trying to you know tell the world like you all have to stop driving, and everyone looks at you like you're fucking crazy. I would never. What do you you know? And that's that's like literally the level of what he was trying to do was a sea change that big. Oh yeah, yeah. No, at, I take at your the point. time, yeah, for sure. Um. You know, and and the and part of the the reason why his family was was this way was the First Amendment, which guaranteed separation of church and state, but also guaranteed freedom of religion. So after the Constitution is, is ratified, you had a lot of religions start to branch off into really weird directions, right? Like right. you had the Mormon Church, you know, decide that oh, men can marry multiple women. There was some other offshoot, but that, not one other said, man. <laughs> well, no, but there was there was actually was there was an offshoot of Christianity oh, that, that said that women should have multiple husbands. No, right? no, I'm saying, but men can marry as many women as they want, but they can't marry another man like that. Not even right, one right. other man, like, right? But um, so yeah, it was just all these different weird branches of religion that that formed, who were even at the time seen as somewhat bizarre and fanatical. Right. There was even one uh, where. People believed that all of God's children were equal at a time when almost nobody believed that. And that <laughs> happened to be the branch of religion that John Brown subscribed to. So you can imagine how crazy people thought that was of him. You know, theoretically, Christianity also believes that, you know, in, in doctrine, it right. should be should it's, believe it's that. This but... one little part of the Bible that no one pays attention to, and this guy's fucking screaming about it. Right. Like, oh, okay, like, are you going to be the, who, what's next, the guy that's, like, adamant that we can't eat shellfish, and that's your fucking reason you're killing <laughs> right, people? Right. Like, that's how crazy it was to people to hear him at the time, right? Until he died for it. Until right. he dies for it, and then suddenly, everyone's like, you know, like they, like they say in the show, like Onion says in the show, like, this was, this was a white man who could read they were hanging for, for slavery. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... That changed everything. It, that's always what it takes, unfortunately, in this country to wake people up is somebody that looks like them standing up for somebody that doesn't look like them. It never matters when it's, you know, liberals can can hand wave away, uh, you know, a million deaths of, of brown people in the Middle East. But 
once a white band gets up there and starts talking about it, you know, then it then it's when they'll well, actually pay attention. I like watched that's... I watched this amazing um, video essay on YouTube last night by a guy whose accent I couldn't place. So <clears> I'm, I'm <throat> guessing he was Eastern European and has lived other places, and his <clears> accents <throat> kind of change all the time. Very like kind of monotone delivery, but just did a great dissection of the hero myth of every war film and how every director in cinema thinks they're making an anti-war film, but fails at it because they almost always still subscribe to the hero myth to tell their story. Right. And it's, right. it's so much easier to feel empathy for the hero than it is for the thousands of other people that died needlessly that mm-hmm. whose deaths had no meaning whatsoever and no value whatsoever. And there's really only a couple of really good anti-war films, Paths of Glory, um, uh, Terrence Malick's Thin Red Line. Mm -hmm. Um, I would even say, uh, what's the Michael J. Fox and Sean Penn one? Um, Casualties of War uh, is a good anti-war film because it's so they're so explicitly anti-war. And if it's not explicitly anti-war, and you're still peddling the hero myth. You're still peddling the the recruitment line that they sell to get more kids to go die. Actually, Good Morning Vietnam, I might even put in that category too. There's not a ton of war action in that movie, but it's the movie really spends a lot of time just getting you to understand the humanity of the Vietnamese, and you know, in a way. But that's you know, again, the the narrative angle. It's hard to imagine just the immense misery experienced by millions of people in bondage. But one man who does what nobody else was willing to do, newspapers, they can't, you know, like, like I've watched all these videos, Ethan Hawke, and he said this several times. He's like, I've read this book, and I'm like, I can't believe there's not 25 movies about John Brown. I can't right. believe that there's not a mo- new movie about John Brown made every year. <laughs> like a reboot. Like, oh, fuck, they're rebooting it's, the John Brown movie? Right? God damn. It, How many times can they? The most compelling character it's about a social issue that it's affected so many people. It was the precursor to the Civil War, which they've made fucking a hundred thousand yeah. movies about. Series, and you know, it's just like <clears throat> Ken Burns <laughs> made his career out of uh, you know, and just 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 to, to just to get a little Ken Burnsy for a second, right. just to get through some of my notes here, um, just to show how global this story really was um this is a, a letter to the editor uh specifically to a a, a paper new, newspaper uh in new york this person writes citizens of albany albany new york the cannon you fired to commemorate the death of john brown has re-echoed in the hearts of haitians and of the, strang- uh, of the strangers in our land, and reverberates through our fields and cities, your energetic protest against an act of barbarity does you the greatest honor, as it evidently proves that there exists in the American Republic courageous men devoted to the holy cause of freedom of the blacks. Receive, then, the sincere thanks of the citizens of the Republic of Haiti, a republic that its enemies on another continent represent as always in ruin albanians which apparently if you're from albany the technical term <laughs> for you is albany i looked this up because i was like albanians sorry it's just so funny to oh me. i know yes. it's just it is history is 
I, I love it. Uh, Albanians, the Haitians, are without <clears throat> prejudice. They receive without hesitation all who join them. It is by our conduct and by that alone that you can find agreement capable of refuting the assertions of those enemies of humanity who decry us. Letter from Haiti, New York Times, March 3rd, 1860. Wow. So, you know, the Haitians had this horrible, awful, bloody revolution, but it was a slave revolt. They were horribly outmatched by the French army. And then once they beat the French, the British tried to recolonize Haiti, so they had to fight the fucking British, too. Um, and this went on for, I mean, they, they, the, French, the French were so afraid of slave revolts in all their colonies that they banned slavery two years into the war. And the Haitians said, fuck that, we want independence, and we want to end colonization. So they fought for another 13 years after that. And then as soon as the French won, because they did win several times, this went back and forth, as soon as the French won, they reinstituted slavery and proved they didn't fucking mean it for, at all. And it was only after, like, Yellow Fever wiped out half the French troops and British troops that, that Haiti finally actually won, hmm. right? It just, it, but the Haitians were so—this is just getting into some bloody territory here. But just, just to give you a sense of what John Brown was studying in his ramp-up to what he started to, to really do violently, um, on, on January 1st, 1804, uh, Dasselins— was the name of the new leader under the dictatorial 1805 constitution, declared Haiti a free republic in the name of the Haitian people, which was followed by the massacre of all the remaining whites. Wow. (laughs) Now, this is technically not true because they only massacred all the whites that were on the side of the French. There were many French uh, and German Polish soldiers who were conscripted to fight for the French who defected because they didn't like the fact they were fighting for slavery and actually fought on the side of the Haitians. They were spared. Um, so his secretary, uh, Bosron uh, Tonier, stated, For our Declaration of Independence, we should have the skin of a white man for parchment, his skull for an inkwell, his blood for the ink, and a bayonet for the pen. It's pretty fucking metal. I yeah. Lie. Yeah. So one Jesus of the things they, they did, when because they, they were so outnumbered by the French uh, Navy, there tens of thousands of, you know, and Haiti's not a big country. It's like half the island of uh, Hispaniola, they, uh, when they killed the French, they would strip the, the corpses naked and stack them in piles so that advancing French soldiers could see the piles of dead, naked dead bodies from miles away. Wow. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> so this is, this is the successful revolution that John Brown studied, would have read every book possible about in prepping for Bloody Kansas and Harper's Ferry. So, yeah, I mean, you know, and, you know, we, we're talking a lot about, uh, you know, John Brown's historical figure. And I think what Ethan Hawke maybe uh, either understood or just, you know, subconsciously understood is the, uh, the reason they don't make John Brown series is that John Brown is fucking terrifying to capital like the John Brown is is capital's worst nightmare because he was like you know and I've talked a lot about on the on the podcast and our regular show about how the entire system of slavery is just ultimately the end goal of capitalism like there there's even that onion tweet today that was a, uh, like a joke tweet about uh Jeff Bezos um uh, Not the onion from the show, but the onion. Yeah, no, no, yeah exactly. Website. It was like Jeff Bezos rolls back, uh, it, you know, exciting new money making opportunity. We realizes it's literally just slavery. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 really the ultimate end goal is like why? What do you think that people were so ideologically? Uh, 
they so ideologically hated black people that they went out of their way to send boats to Africa to bring them here just to torture them? No, they fucking wanted to make as much money as possible. They wanted free and labor. They want and not do any fucking work for their crops and their, you know, their fucking their cotton. So they brought them here. But yeah, exactly. To, and of course, they thought of them as, as as subhuman. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like they weren't the biggest fucking racists in the world. But right. it all had a root, a, a basis in, in, in just making as much money as possible by sure. exploiting labor. Well, in the but mo- in, but the, the lie they told themselves was was the white man's burden, that they were, they the white man was taking on the burden of civilizing the savage. Right. They, right. We're, we're Christianizing the them. We're giving them jobs. You know, it's it's like the it's like <laughs> we're the, giving the them line internships from, you know? from Thor Ragnarok. It's like the slave revolt is blah 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 blah. I don't like that word. What revolt? No <laughs> slave. Like okay, uh, the prisoners who have jobs are revolting. <laughs> Which is yeah, that f- movie is so good. Oh, <laughs> fucking Taika Waititi, man. Taika Waititi. It's so I was, good. Get his name mixed up there, but yeah, uh, that little well, cutie motherfucker. And John but. Brown, you know, like he failed at almost every business venture in his life, and you have to wonder, like, if he had become a successful businessman, would he still have carried out a revolution? I don't think so. You he know, might not have, like, but he—he he certainly his politics were intact. Like, it, well, that's the interesting thing about like radical anti-capitalists and radical. You know, anti-racist is they typically are not very good at at, at things like operating businesses because it's just right. fundamentally like their heart's not in it. You, exactly. to, to really run a successful business, you have to be a fucking demon. Like you have to, for the most part. I mean, you could you could you know be your the sole employee of like a local bike repair shop, but to really run a successful right. like mercantile business, you need to exploit fucking labor like to some degree, and that's the problem with when that's why you never you see. Know, he started out with a tannery, but right. his problem was that he would name the cows and talk to them. <laughs> right. Know? So he was like, ah, oh, man, I can't fucking kill like, George. Uh, like, I'm not gonna, like, you're not make you cannot kill enough cows to make a profit. He's like, I just, I, I they're my friends, though. I don't, I don't. But he I read literally, he, the, he literally in, the, could... in the show, when Ethan Hawke was like talking to animals like that, like apparently wasn't in the book. That was a thing that Ethan Hawke specifically wanted right. to have. Right. Talking to the rabbit, asking if the, the rabbit believes in, in justice, right? <laughs> the, the scene where he's talking to uh, Jeb Stewart <clears throat> the first time. Right. The the federal commander. Yeah. Right? And he starts, he like kisses the horse. Who's a real guy, by the way. It, yeah. Who's a real historic, almost all the people in this are real, based yeah. on real Other historical onion. people. And Ethan Hawke like kisses the horse and he's like, uh, he says, uh, Mr. Brown, please don't do that. That was completely <laughs> improvised. That was wow. improved by both wow. of them. Like, neither one That's knew incredible. that the other one was going to do that, and they fucking left it in. That's incredible. But That's yeah, really good. D- just, just real quick to speak to uh, John yeah. Brown's, uh, you know, parent anti-capitalist views, um, just a real quick paragraph here. This is from his, his final speech, <clears throat> his final statements at his trial before he was sentenced. Um, which I believe Thoreau said was one of the two greatest speeches in U.S. history, uh, which the first being Gettysburg Address by Lincoln. Um, John Brown said, Had I so interfered on behalf of the rich, the powerful, the intelligent, the so-called great, or in behalf of any of their friends, either father, mother, brother, sister, wife, or children, or any of that class, and suffered and sacrificed uh, what I have in this interference, I would have been all right. And every man in this court would have deemed it a worthy act 
uh, or an act worthy of reward rather than punishment. Wow. So yeah. he knew. He knew uh, 100%. That yeah. He was doing something that was, you know, in the the opposite interest of the wealthy, you know, of the, of that mercantile class of which he never uh, you know, really had the 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 will to succeed in. Right. Right. So yeah, and and by the way, to the point about talking to animals, he he really to some extent it was like a, like a bit of a loon when it came to that. Like apparently, when he used to either herd sheep or raise sheep, he he claimed to be able to tell like over two thousand sheep like apart. Like he could tell which who each one was and had named all two thousand. <laughs> that was just one one really funny anecdote I read. He also had a pet squirrel for years. Uh, and when oh, that... which there's a line about in the film too that he, he yeah yeah right. Uh, he had a, he had the same pet squirrel for seventeen years and was very upset when it died. He, apparently, he mourned for two straight years after it died, <laughs> which is amazing. I mean, it just really tr- tr- right. truly shows you the humanity that you know he he well, wasn't like and just... some of this stuff like you don't know how true it really was right because the right. the tall tale the like the 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 uh <clears throat> how prone certain writers were to exaggerate things you know like this is sure. this is the, not as much as like the old west the farther out west where you could you know just write a novel about anything and no way to verify it but like there's a little bit more reliable when you have like you know the telegram and uh or telegraph and and uh, you know, daily reporting. So we know more accurate things about like the his last few years than we do about his whole life. But just still, still the idea that he like mourned a squirrel for two years is hilarious. To me. <laughs> um, but but yeah, and and you know, just to talk about the series a little bit more because you know, obviously yeah. we're we're just very caught up in John Brown. But I, I think that's because I just wanted to kind of contextualize a lot of no, the historical I, stuff. When I also think that's because Ethan Hawke just did such an incredible job of bringing him to life that it really is an almost interchangeable, you know, right uh, between the two. And you know, the only thing really in the series. Uh, that that was completely made up out of whole cloth was the character of Onion, which is really just the plot oh. device in the novel. And by the way, great fucking character, like really just well fleshed out, well acted in the series, just well written um, character that you know just became this living avatar for the humanity of John Brown, and that was really a great um, addition by the author. And, you know, absolutely, and, absolutely. Joshua Caleb Johnson, young actor who played uh, Henry slash Henrietta Onion, um, just like huge shoes to fill, and especially acting alongside somebody like Ethan Hawke, who's been around for a long fucking time, and batting a fucking thousand in the series too, like just way at a higher level than he'd ever, you know, the, the energy level Ethan Hawke brought to this role was unlike anything I've ever seen out of him. <laughs> Just like I said on our, our political show last week, that Ethan Hawke's portrayal felt like watching Tom Waits, Chanley, Nick Nolte, and Samuel L. Jackson. Right. Um, and, and then you think it's going to be like I, you know, we all worried like how they're going to portray him. And then you know, there's there's scenes like their conversation on the train, where he talks about how many children he lost uh, at a very young age. He lost four children in one week. Yeah, from uh, I forget what it was tuberculosis or something like that, I mean, you know, I and just completely dials it down to these really quiet, intimate moments, you know. And he and he talks about how that that loss motivated him in a lot of ways. That you know, once you've lost enough things, you'll do anything, right? Right. 
and also talks about you know like the the great dinner conversation with Frederick, Frederick Douglass and his oh, two sorry. wives. Uh, <laughs> right. It's like a fifteen minute long scene. It's like a movie within a movie. Um, which I love that. I love when you just have really, really long conversations, and it's like we're gonna go there. We're gonna go. We're gonna get to the point where it's like John Brown, shut the fuck up. You're a white guy. Don't speak for me. Don't tell right. him what black people need. And he's like, but You're- then at the same time, he's you know like like some of the other the, the other black men that are with Brown later, like just refer to him as like a parlor like a parlor talker, basically. Like he never had the the fucking stomach for violent revolution. Um, which, you know, I, and oh, yeah, again, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and a lot of people were like, how can you portray Frederick Douglass as this like bougie, you know, he, he kind womanizing. Of, like, he wrote about himself that way, though. That's like, exactly who he wanted to be seen as. That right. was the thing is that he was like, if I can show them that a black guy can be a bougie rich guy and have my picture taken more than any other American, like <clears> then they're <throat> going to see me. And I'm, you know, his whole thing about not smiling. <laughs> you know that was that was true, right? Uh, I, I love the scene where um, his his black wife does the power play on his white mistress about <laughs> telling Onion to change the dress she's wearing. She's like, "No, yellow's not your color. Change the red dress." And she's right. wearing a red dress at the time, so it's, it's so like fucking funny. this 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 black girl's. And I love the I love the Onion. The whole the the you know John Brown initially thinks that that's a girl, and then Onion goes along with it. For protection, I love that in in the title sequence that Onion turns into a literal onion and like rolls through all this chaos as like a form of armor, like rolls <laughs> under the feet hanging, you know, right. the people dead and the battle and everything. And it's like, yes, this this wearing this dress and putting on this this different gender identity as a means of protection was something that that this boy thought he could do. But I love that like all of the black people can tell that he's still a boy, <laughs> and all of the white people can't and think he's actually a girl except for frederick Douglass. except for frederick Douglass, because they're so steeped in like bougie white culture i know i know that i i literally when i when i in, in that episode that was like the first thing i picked up on i was like oh they're the only black people who can't tell that onions and boys right and you messaged me immediately because so you noticed that i i, I love that was, you noticed that too because that was, was really like, funny yep exactly um, exactly and, 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 and david Diggs, by the way fucking great performance as frederick Douglass. just really <sighs> Like, like reverent, but also really fucking funny and like, you know, like just right. really cuts to the humanity of and, Frederick And Douglas. Ethan Hawke, um, and he was, he was in Hamilton, obviously. And we, he played, yeah, Thomas Jefferson we, in Hamilton. Uh, we have quite a bit of disdain for, for Hamilton and the, that sort of brand of neoliberal revisionist history, that sort of uh, new age uh, blackface that that, that that is. But... Um, he was sick of it too because Ethan Hawke revealed in an interview that when he approached him to play the character, he's like, "Nah, man, I'm sick of all that fucking shit." Right. <laughs> he didn't well, he's not do actually it. an actor by trade. He was like a well, rapper in this in this New York City right, based um, right. hip hop so, group. But after Ethan Hawke was like, "Look, just just read the book because right. it's it's not what you think it is. It's actually a really funny uh, caricature of of Frank Douglas that you." you can really like play around with this. Right. And he read it and was like, Oh yeah, no, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's, just, yeah. Oh yeah. just like the, the scene with him and onion drinking and oh, like so getting good. fucking drunker. And then like the wives, they're like, 
negging him for different things and he's like stressed <laughs> out and drinking more. And then it's just like, right, I know what you mean. And they're like the scene where they both take a huge gulp at the same time. And there's this fear constantly with Onion that like, oh, is this person going to try to like, like fuck Onion basically thinking it's mm. a girl and like, right. oh, God, you know, like that was, that was in that scene. There's a lot of scenes like that where it's like, oh fuck, it's going to, everything is going to just unravel because they, you know, they're going to. And all of the humor you know, I haven't read the book. Um, I, I want to. My mother is actually, I got her to read like uh, almost the whole thing now. She's gotten through. Oh, wow. Yeah, I wanted her to get her book cl- whole book club to read it, actually. So that was the reason why I'm trying to get her on to that. <laughs> uh, just, you know, planting seeds. Um, but wow, just like Joe Biden, the, this, this, this John Brown fellow. Yeah, right. Uh, but all of the humor, every single joke in this entire series doesn't just land, it kills. Right. You know, and, and you could read this in a book and be like, that's really funny, but how do you translate that into a series? Like, who do you cast? How do you edit this to make these jokes work? Mm-hmm. And every single one does. There's so much fucking humor. But, and it's just so... F- again, I just... I, I don't think people fully understand that the fucking... The, the, the difficult needle that this show threads, where it is still so fucking funny, but so impactful and so meaningful like and that's like you were you talked about that scene uh in the train then there's that incredible final scene between onion and and john brown in the jail before you know the day before his execution where it's just he's just so humane and so like dialed down and so fucking good heartbreaking my my favorite joke is when onion comes in walks past the jailer and the jailer just kind of looks and is like all right and then they talk through the through the you know the door (laughs) and he's like come on inside he's like what do you mean he's like oh it's not locked he doesn't lock it (laughs) (laughs) it's so fucking funny and I looked it up and that was true wow like the jailer was so sympathetic to John Brown that like they had dinner together every night that's funny that's really fucking funny (laughs) but like they they drop in the historical reference as a joke that was just like because it is fucking hilarious like (laughs) yeah and he it's, was even like he had he had hundreds of visitors. He was constantly being visited by by reporters, wow. uh, and by southern clergy who wanted to like give him communion, and mm-hmm. he refused to because he was like, "I will not take communion with anyone who's a, a slave supporting priest." And it became a competition where <laughs> like a ton of slave supporting priests were trying or pastors came there giving him gifts, trying to get him to to change his mind and take communion with them. Thinking that if they could, then they could be like, "Oh, we we won over John Brown to our side." Right? You know, look what we did, and he was just like, "Nope, sorry, fuck you." Uh, and he even he even like cursed at one of them once, and then they like made him feel bad about it, which he did feel bad because uh, he was very <laughs> like, you know, he like, very much is is the portrayal that Ethan Hawke does is, is like the minute somebody would, you know, kind of call out his, you know, exuberance, <clears throat> he would kind of crumble and become really humble. Uh, well, that's the amazing dichotomy of of Ethan and the real John Brown. When you read about him, is that he was this deeply, deeply religious man, and all of his 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 care for for you know people of every race uh, was r- deeply rooted in that in that actual yeah. fundamentalist Christian Christian thinking. And it, it's just it, again, it's a great point of humor for the show, but it really was how he was, where like he would just be fucking cutting people's heads off but if somebody said like fuck well, he would like leave, like oh, God, don't you, t-? you or like really god damn because you know when when bloody kansas happened it was you know if you know the history on this it was people just moving to kansas because there was going to be a vote 
about whether they're going to be a slave state. So people from Missouri were, who were pro-slavery were coming over. Right. They were busing them in. It was Trump's worst nightmare. They were busing right, in. <laughs> right. But they thought they could just you know, defeat slavery in Kansas by enough people voting. And once the pro-slavery people realized that they were the minority, they just started burning down entire free cities. Right. And that's what they called them back then. Or free states, I think they were even referred to as, right? Right. But but like within Kansas, there were different cities that were pro or anti-slavery, right? Correct. It, it really was like its own little civil war. And so John Brown only went there after his sons had been living there for a while <clears throat> and were being harassed and people were being murdered, right? And John Brown went there, and actually Ethan Hawke went to the John Brown Museum uh, that's in Kansas, and... The historian there showed Ethan Hawke letters of John Brown before and after he moved to Kansas to go fight this this rebellion, and noted that his handwriting had changed uh, dramatically. Yeah, and the only thing the historian could account for that was that John Brown had a stroke, <laughs> which radically altered his handwriting. And realizing his own mortality, decided all right, I don't have much time left, because once you have a stroke, there's a good chance you can have another one and die, right? Right. And I'm going to go there, and I'm going to fucking defend my sons and wage a war, and this is it. Like, this is, I got to, you know, God spoke to me. I need to fucking do something. So he, you know, went there, and the people he killed weren't just random slave supporters that he pulled out of their homes and chopped their heads off. These were people that were engaged in terrorism, that had committed murder, that had burned down cities and burned down pro, or I'm sorry, uh, had burned down abolition newspaper offices. Right? right. So he picked people very selectively, but he didn't just keep killing people over and over and over. He killed enough people that the, the pro slaver terrorists realized there was a real opposition. And, you know, over the course of about two, three years, the, what they called Bleeding Kansas, it was about 200 people died. You know, the, with, with the show, shows in the first episode, these just like, you know, people had their own private armies. Like, that was all real. That was all very, right. very real. Um, and he goes there, and somehow, even though he had a stroke, you know, allegedly, he turns out to be a really good uh, gunman, really good at shooting a gun and not getting shot. So <laughs> he's also thinking to himself, like, well, this is God protecting me. This is my divine, right. you know, I ha- I have to be the one to do this because God is protecting me somehow. Somehow I can't lose. Right, and, and that was a huge motivator for him at that time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's let's talk about the uh, the, the last uh, episode, well, last couple episodes, the yeah. and the raid um, on Harper's Ferry because uh, you know this is uh, the, the kind of the a lot of the elements of that are maybe the most um, not fictionalized, but like where, where the most liberties were taking in taken in the book and in the in the show because. Obviously, the character of Onion doesn't exist in real life, right? Uh, and the character of the Railman, uh, would like in, in the series, it's kind of made out that he's basically the conductor and that he, you know, rounded up uh, free free black people from uh, D.C. and Maryland to Britain, brought them here. But like he just because of this misunderstanding where he was shot, they never <clears throat> uh, joined, the, you know, John Brown as like the kind of cavalry to help you know help them get out with all the mm-hmm. with all the weapons from the armory. Now, that wasn't actually really John Brown's plan. There was actually a, a black realman who ended up getting uh, shot in in confusion because the uh, uh, one of John Brown's kind of raiding parties 
was was to hijack the train and kind of like stop the take over the bridge basically and the, he wasn't actually the conductor though he was like a like a bag carrier like one of the you know the kind of when, and actually at the time when i when i was watching the series i was like i don't know if white people would let this black dude conduct this whole train in in the 18 you know 50s oh but, it was um, almost exclusively blacks that worked those trains all over even the as a conductor really I'm, that's surprising oh it was still would... considered to be like a lowly servant class job <laughs> Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Well, okay, but in any event, um but so there was some some truth to that moment, but it wasn't, you know, in terms of there wasn't actually a a, a train full of you know, uh, b- reinforcements with the hope was that uh John Brown once he took over sent other uh, you know, gr- members of his raiding party to to tell of what happened to these other towns where he was hoping to kind of call all of the the enslaved black people in the area to right. arms basically to have them that join that was it his just, hope right but i think it, that it was kind of yeah it wasn't part a great... of what they with the kind of show when he goes up to canada for this convention with harry tubman is they they say i love that they have in the show he's like we hear your call we want to fight slavery but like we don't know you like we don't right. personally know you and that's yeah, which thing was that maybe I, his fatal flaw in, in his plan unfortunately exactly the thing he didn't understand about the haitian revolution was that these people all knew each other for a long time and it was internal Right, right, but here it's like people aren't just gonna <clears throat> run and join your thing because, like, they—if you lose, they're gonna be hanged, right? And like, they don't know you; they've heard like probably just that you're crazy old, whatever. <laughs> like they, you know, like it just—it wasn't gonna happen. And I, even in the show too, he's, you know, that phrase "hive the bees." That was an actual phrase that Harriet Tubman came up with as like their code word for what they were doing. Mm-hmm. He even says in his jail cell, says to Onion, you know, hiving the bees just takes longer than I thought it would. Right, which I think is you know great wisdom and afterthought that you couldn't really have known, right? Because it's just no, like it's somebody's un- completely somebody's got to fucking try, right? Right. right. <laughs> um, um, well, you know, one th- thing that was actually true though is that was uh, he did send people out to you know kind of round up hostages, and one of the people he yep, did yep. grab was was Lewis Washington, who's the kind of like milksop fucking colonel. <laughs> Uh, doughboy that they that they capture and they bring and actually one of the interesting things that they s- sort of allude to but leave part of it out was the um so when they go in there he has the um the sword that was le- that was handed down to him from George Washington yep. that was the sword of um uh, some some great world le- you know something the great Frederick the Great I think the, uh, some world leader um but he, they also actually they took that and they also took a pistol from... They like their uh, swords. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> when they also actually took a pistol that was handed down from Washington uh, that was Marquis de Lafayette's pistol, who was a French general who was really integral in the U.S. winning the Revolutionary War. Huh. Um, and it's and it wasn't an accident that it was like, oh, look, he has a sword. They actually went there to get that because they wanted the whites in the area to fear that they were rounding up all of these 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 artifacts as if they right it, it they wanted it to seem like it was a, a more of a plan than it even was like it was this this concerted you know effort to like, like yeah like they, like they the, wanted to terrorize people and think that the problem exactly. was way bigger and and it really didn't become until after they had failed but they they people that thought that, that john brown didn't put enough planning into this don't realize how much planning they did when they had all those men hiding up in the attic at that house they had them in, in the show they all arrive at all at once which would have drawn right. a ton of attention yeah yeah but in real life they all showed up like weeks apart and the, the part about his daughter um Annie coming down there, that was true, too. They were there to completely 
be like decoys to make it look like just one to live family. in the down the downstairs exactly because like, so they really like, did have exactly. you know they were worried about nosy neighbors just like they you know I love the fucking scene between uh, Maya Hawk and the and the fucking racist woman on the porch <laughs> right you know how that like gradually escalates the po- to the point where you're just like hit that fucking bitch um, <laughs> and uh, you know again like great great casting with with Maya Hawk she's fucking the singing like the singing scenes you're just like um I'm I'm like Onion, and I'm sort of falling in love with her <laughs> in this right, moment, right. Uh, which is, makes it even more heartbreaking when you know when Onion finally decides to reveal he's a boy, but then has to leave her, right? right? And you're just like, God damn it! Like they, well, you, you know, know what, though he survives at the end of the series, so I'd like to think in in the in the alternate you know timeline of this movie he'll go and oh, and call yeah. on her. But later in real in life, life, Annie Brown married an abusive alcoholic who beat her. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. well world fucking sucks unfortunately. <laughs> right? um but yeah so i you know and yeah i just really uh just incredible stuff but i but and again you know as much as he and, and i think they onion alludes this, to this in the narration which by the way again narration something you know very rarely uh enhances a, a movie or a tv show i think it really they did a really good job in this series where it really was not <clears throat> obtrusive and it just really well, served to further you know uh, the series it, it it does but i love that you know at the end john brown and his his men go bursting out of that door guns ablazing and then onion just dips out the back and then it's, they don't show what happens right and you're like well they're, they're, they're gonna show us what's gonna happen it's like no because no, onion wasn't there it. right right and, it, and i was just like oh my god they're they're sticking with the subjective narrative and then it's like well where's the trial well, Ani wasn't at the trial, so we don't see the trial. It's like that's fucking brilliant because yeah. it, it what it does effectively is it robs us of those last days with John Brown, and you you feel like instead of he's suddenly being killed, that he's slowly being taken away from us as a character. Right. Like the way that you didn't see him at all, uh, you know, in episode two until the very end, mm-hmm. and you're like, holy shit, he's fucking back, and it's like you don't right. get you don't get that. Like the scene you get is, is like he's completely reserved and humble and accepting of his fate, and then you know the famously you know the jailer who he was buddies with, who he had dinner with every night, who didn't lock the door, is who he handed the note to on his way up to the gallows. Oh wow! And that note read his his final written words were, "I John Brown am now quite certain that the crimes of this guilty land will never be purged away, but with blood." I had vainly flattered myself that without very much bloodshed, it might be done. So those were his last written Fuck, words. Man. And then in the show, the last image we see is you know is is Ethan Hawke with those like super white, just incredible contact. piercing eyes. Yeah, right. He actually had contacts, and you can kind of tell. Yeah, you can kind of tell. That's even like, even, ah. even from the black and white photos, John Brown. You can tell his eyes were even bluer. Than Ethan Hawke, incredibly, yeah, intense eyes. Yeah. Um, but his final words were, "Oh, what a beautiful country!" And then that hood goes over his head. You know, his right. final thoughts were almost like he was seeing the future, right? And exactly. how could you, how could you say, "What a beautiful country" to the country that's just about to execute you, right? No, and he, because he, he saw the promise of of what was to come. Like he, you know, he saw, he knew there was going to be a civil war all along. He was trying to kick off a civil war. I don't think he envisioned it being an actual, uh, you know, I don't think he knew that the South would secede, 
But uh, I think he knew that but... that the only way to end slavery was was through bloodshed and through violence. He said as much, and I think you know they weren't going to give up their property. You no. know, <laughs> nope. Capital will never concede anything unless yeah. you fucking take it from them, and that's and and that's again like just the fucking legacy of John Brown, and it's a fucking a, an absolute travesty. And this is why I laugh with like right wingers who are, are fucking idiots and you know never don't understand anything you know with historical context to begin with say things like oh oh these left-wing educational systems there's not a single left-wing educational system in this fucking country because nowhere do you learn about the <laughs> actual fucking implications of what like someone like john brown did you, you can find you know. a few areas i had a, a teacher american history teacher in high school who actually was a creationist so like he, oh, wow. he believed that the history he was teaching was only six thousand years old right um but he actually like spent a whole lot of time on the civil rights movement and really opened my eyes to a lot of injustice. Oh no, you get you get time. teachers, but like the it, curriculums overall oh, yeah. are just right. Just well, that's, written that's, by that's why you need to allow the teachers to decide the curriculum and not state boards of education, right? Right. Exactly. Um I looked this up actually just cuz like I said, I I've spent easily 40 hours of research in the last month in preparation for this. We've been wanting to review this for a while, and, you know, the final episode was just a couple of weeks ago, but today is, what, November 25th? John right. Brown was hanged on uh, December 2nd, so we are exactly one week shy of the 161st anniversary of John Brown's hanging. Damn. Um, that is 58,798 days ago, or approximately, according to the Internet, about 5 billion seconds ago. Hmm. Just, just to, just to make you feel just how not long ago that was, <laughs> right? Exactly. You know, seems like yeah, it seems like I can count to that. I mean, obviously, statistically, I can't, but uh, it seems like a countable number. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, just, just absolutely incredible, incredible series. And, and you know, again, John Brown, the impact of John Brown, unfortunately, has never been properly taught in history class, and it's something you only later. Uh, you know, learn on your own, and I really right. hope that the, the the fucking how great the series is, and the fact that I'm sure he's going to win a bunch of fucking Emmys for it, will make more people watch. I, this. Everybody, everybody involved in this, you know, like the because he hired, I believe, all black writers to right. to write the episodes, and all black directors directed the episodes. And the author of the book was was a black man, so right. It, and it's the opposite of fucking Lovecraft. The, the book <laughs> won the National Book Award in 2013, so, you know, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, because this is a history people need to know more of, uh, and, and really how much it changed people's minds at the time. You know, Frederick, Frederick Douglass, who was one of... Brown supporters behind the scenes would never publicly co-sign what he was doing. And Brown actually was being funded by other abolitionists in secret, this, this group called the Secret Six. Uh, we're all white guys who were giving him money. But Douglas was was remorseful that he didn't support Brown publicly. He said after Brown was killed, his zeal in this cause of my race was far greater than mine. It was at the burning... Uh, it was as the burning sun to my taper light... Mine was bounded by time. His stretched away into the bound, uh, boundless shores of eternity. I could live for the slave, but he could die for them. Which they actually yeah. include that quote in the show. 
I'm glad he came around. I was, I was <laughs> jokingly, I think I, I referred to him as the Jim Clyburn of the civil rights era when we were talking the other day, but, but no, he, I mean, he was, you know, he was a great figure. He just didn't have the, 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 I guess the 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 the, the stomach for the what was doing what was necessary to actually oh, he, fix the thing that he was he a black was capitalist so opposed to you know yeah. he was he was a black capitalist and thought I can win people over if I can just act like a rich white guy right and he clearly was a great orator he was clearly advocating for abolition but he just didn't he thought violence wasn't the answer and wouldn't get the results and John right. Brown just knew that it was the only way. He finally right. realized it was like, look, this is the only way it's going to happen, and if we fail, so be it, but it's it's going to kick off a big fucking thing. Uh, maybe Which the what, biggest thing in our history. Right. That's why I'm super glad that Harry Tubman's going to end up on the $20 bill, but at the same time, it's also kind of <laughs> like a weird, horrible irony that she's going to end up on money, basically, like on know. capital. It's, you know? it's, just, it's just like, oh, let's put Harry Tubman on Mount Rushmore. It's like, no, you're missing no, the no, point. No, no, that's... Don't yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> what do we put John Brown on Mount Rushmore? You would have loved no, that. You would have loved taking stolen, you know... Jack Black with his fucking T-shirt of Liz Warren on Mount Rushmore. Like, how... Well, that was appropriate because she's stolen plenty from Native Americans in her life. So right, right. Actually, that shirt actually makes sense, but not for the reasons they think it does. The white woman of color was worn. Oh, fuck, man. All right. Well, <sighs> yeah. I, you know, I, I, I just, you know, again, I can't say enough good things about this series. Just one of the best things I've watched. I could, I could review it again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I've watched each episode at least three times, and the last two episodes, I think five times each. Yeah, I'm definitely going to go back and just, I've it. never I've I've never seen a like a, a you know, a, we call this an event series, you know, a mini series. It's only one right, season. Right. I've never seen anything this good. This, no. This this pitch I, I can't perfect. Think of anything. Um you know, and, and and it doesn't end the way you think it's gonna, the way you would expect the story to be told, which is good. It tells it in a very different way and you're just you're left wanting more, but you're just like, okay, well, the the more that I the only more I can get is to fucking delve into the real history obsessively <laughs> to right. learn as much as I can about all these figures and all they sacrificed. You know, we, we think about like how implausible it would be for Harriet Tubman and John Brown to be in the same room together, both speaking because they're both these titans of history. But at the time they weren't very few people knew who they were back then. They were just two people that were on the same side of, of an injustice right. who were trying to get more people to wake the <clears> fuck up. <throat> Right, right. Now, 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 the real thing is going to be uh, if somebody can actually put together a, like a real fucking unvarnished Harriet Tubman miniseries where they don't fucking you know whitewash and pull any punches. But I don't know if we'll oh, see that. I mean, just just watch the the Harriet Tubman drunk history episode. It's, right. it's yeah, perfect. That'll, that'll, <laughs> exactly. Right. Yo, right, I got well. this fucking thing. Right. No, it's, it's so good. I think it actually, might, I think the Harry Tubman episode of Drunk History may have been the very first uh, Drunk History episode I ever saw, and one of my favorites of all time for all the ones I've watched. It's a really good show. Yeah. Um. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, I think you know, it's all my that, notes. Yeah, and this is, and I'm sure this is more of a formality at this point, but five out of five hammer and sickles for me. Five uh, out of five, absolutely. I, I was so glad you down. told me about this because it's. Looking at how many people have watched it and how little there is about the show itself online, except for like Ethan Hawke's three-hour-long YouTube interviews, right. uh, there's not a much about it. I feel like not many people have seen it. Um, and you actually told me that it was like, uh, what was it, on, on IMDb, it's rated at what? 
It's a fucking yeah. I, I this I didn't even realize until this morning. It, it's a or maybe it was last night. It's a seven point five on IMDb, which has to be fucking, you know, uh, either conservative racist, right-wingers. Ra- racist right wingers like review bombing it or yeah. There's no way you watch that series from any fucking observable metric and don't give well, that thing a nine or a ten. Like it's unbelievable to me. I but, looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes and Rotten Tomatoes has it at. 97 percent yeah that's that's more appropriate and that's you know based on critic scores not on fucking right. you know shitbag right so yeah i mean like, oh, is- you always hate it when like a really good thing goes unseen but like you know it's out there and more and more people are going to come to it you know it's not like you have to watch it the day it comes out right right so go fucking yeah just sign up for like a free month of showtime watch it in a couple days and cancel like you don't have to spend any money to watch <laughs> exactly shit if you haven't seen it or just you know date somebody that has it <laughs> right, right. Or or have parents that have a a, 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 a very good cable package so that you have yeah. their logins. Like Actually, it's, it, it is on YouTube. Each episode is like two dollars on YouTube. So well, and the first and the pilot's free on YouTube still. Yes, so you can still watch the pilot. Free, so watch the pilot, and if you're not fucking hooked by the end of that first fifty minutes, uh, there's something dead inside you. So very much so. Yeah, absolutely. So that is the Good Lord Bird. Um, yeah, and uh, you know if you want to check out. More stuff by us. Uh, check out our main uh, political podcast that we do every week, Move Left Idiots. Um, we've uh, reviewed a ton of other movies uh, from a leftist perspective. Uh, and again, go check out our archives. We are on Apple Podcasts. Just search for Move Left Idiots. We're on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash move left. Facebook.com slash move left idiots. I'm like losing my voice bad. We've we've been podcasting for like three hours now. I'm fucking shot. I know. The sun's going down here, man. I know. (laughs) Um, So we, Facebook.com slash move left idiots, Patreon.com slash move left, merch available at tinyurl.com slash move left pod. Go get a mug. Go get a mug. Go get a sticker for the back of your laptop so you can go cover get a onesie for your infant toddler. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Somebody actually did that. That was fucking awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, where else are we? Uh, I'm on Twitter at move underscore left. The show has a Twitter at move left pod. And I'm on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. <laughs> I'm on Twitter at Bike Slutty. Thanks yeah. for listening, America. Yeah, we'll see you next time. say everything can be replaced They say every distance is not near So I remember every face of every man who put me
every man needs protection They say every man must fall So I swear I see my reflection to blame. 